Blog Talk Radio. This is a session which is part of the series titled Wisdom for Happy, Successful Living. This is the first session in that series, Wisdom for Happy, Successful Living. This is an esoteric study of selected parables of Jesus. And since we've used the term esoteric, let us address ourselves to its meaning for a moment. Esoteric indicates inner, inner meaning, spiritual meaning, real meaning. Words and figures are exoteric, outer, external symbols. Esoteric interpretation reveals the inner, real meaning behind the exoteric are outer words and symbols. The first parable that I have selected for our study is the parable of the prodigal son. It is my favorite parable. Ulster, in his story of the life of Christ, calls it the greatest story ever told, to which I'm in agreement. This parable of the prodigal son, told by Jesus, I call the sweetest story ever told. And since we're talking about parables, let's get a working definition for the word parable. I like the following definition, which I will quote from Dr. Irving Seale's book, Learn to Live. Dr. Seale states, literally, the word parable means a comparison. It is from the Latin parabola, which in turn is from the Greek word which means placing beside, to compare, similitude. Every parable, therefore, is two stories placed side by side, or two meanings thrown beside each other for comparison, unquote. Now, I want to give you my definition of parable. Parable, one story which tells another story. By comparison, another story between the lines of a story, a second story beside the first story. I think that's an interesting definition for parable, and right away I will have to address myself to those who call themselves fundamentalists and insist upon a literal interpretation of the scripture. I'm going to make this statement and never forget it. It is impossible to interpret the Bible literally and get the intended meaning. The Bible itself, and the writer says of Jesus, without a parable spake he not unto them. Now that's interesting. St. Matthew, the 13th chapter, and the 34th verse. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables. And without a parable spake he not unto them. Then how in the world are you going to interpret or understand Jesus Christ literally? I mean, how in the world is a whole religious belief system to say we interpret the Bible literally? I mean, professors with doctorate, DDs, with schools and theological cemeteries, I mean seminaries galore, thousands of them, the world over, who will declare we are fundamentalists and we interpret the Bible literally. No wonder they don't know who Jesus is or who they are. 
I just read you the scripture that says of Jesus that he spake to them in a multitude of parables. And without a parable spake he not unto them. And so a parable is what? A two-story story. Now that is good. I've never heard that before. Pretty good, Reverend Ike. Pretty good. So again, I want to make the statement, and it would help a lot of religious people the world over if they would understand the statement which I repeat. It is impossible to interpret the Bible literally and get the intended meaning. Yes, there is a lot of history in the Bible, but history is not the intended purpose of the Bible. All of the personalities and events of the Bible are dramatizations of the working of the consciousness of man. So again, my definition of parable. A parable is one story which tells another story by comparison. A parable is another story between the lines of a story. A parable is a second story beside the first story. A parable is a two-story story. I like that. That's original, by the way, with Reverend Ike. Just hot off of the press. And so now we are about to consider the parable of the prodigal son from the lips of Jesus. The first story in the story of the prodigal son is certainly a beautiful story. As I say, the sweetest story ever told because... It is the story of the great love between a father and his son. That's the first story. But if that is as far as you go with the story, if that's all you get, you have missed the real story. You can get a lot of beautiful things out of the Bible, but you must always look for the second story. Now, here is a rule of hermeneutics which all of the professors at the Theological Cemetery may or may not approve of. But I say that in all Scripture, there is always a second story. Together, in all Scripture, there is always a second story. And get in the habit, as you study the Scriptures from this point on, of looking for the second story. And unless you get a second story, you have not gotten the story. For example, in the parable of the prodigal son, it's a beautiful story to see the great love between that father and that son. But you've missed it all if you do not go to the second story and understand that this is also the story of how much God loves you, all mankind. As a second story... The parable of the prodigal son is also the revelation of how man gets away from God in his thinking and what happens to man when he gets away from God in his thinking. But it is all... This is Hindsight Radio. I represent it. The information station changes the nation. You provide fire 
Stay right there. there. You're listening to Hindsight Radio. Peace, peace, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Truth Tuesday show with your host, Hakeem L. On Hindsight Radio, the information station changing the nation. I hope everybody's doing very well, living prosperous, not only in uh, monetary ways but in spiritual ways because you know the only way you're going to keep that money keep your sanity is to be spiritually grounded so i hope everybody's uh keeping a check on their spirituality you know i love that song tasha cobb she says fill me up until i overflow you know, every time I listen to that song, it, it, it just, you know, reminds me of the work that needs to be done. Not just in me, but in everyone else. We all got a lot of work to do. Uh, reminding ourselves how much we have to be thankful for and to keep our minds renewed and uh, every day to keep our, ourselves out of the trap of getting caught up in our egos. But it also reminds me of how sometimes you can get down, you can get disappointed, you can get weary, because you can give so much of yourself, and pretty much it's a thankless job. You know, you get people who thank you, come, and they say certain things, say, you know, I thank you. Yeah, that's good. Um, me and a brother was talking about this yesterday. A lot of times people who come with those high, really high praises, they're, they're pretty much a lot of those high praises are fake praises. Um, the real praise is when you're showing people what to do and they go and apply it. That's the real praise. That's the real things. When you see them living out the teachings, because you guys probably hear it. There's people who come on the show, they think, and and then they're not even applying any of the principles that I'm teaching, but yeah, I've been following you forever and this and all of this craziness. And you go look and you check the accounts. They haven't purchased one thing from you. 
And a lot of that's going on. A lot of that fakery is going on. And like I said, this is 2021. This is the year I took a sabbatical from calling certain things out. But that that time is over. You know, you want to come on this show, I'm only dealing with the real folks, the ones that really want change, the ones that's going to apply the change, who want to raise up from their Lazarus ways. Like, King, what do you mean by Lazarus? What is the Lazarus ways? I, I'll prove it to you. i read it out of the book of John. Remember, Lazarus was the one Christ raised from the dead. See, a lot of us are dead in our thinking. And for some reason, this dead thinking think they're alive. They, 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 they really believe they're doing something. But when you look at the fruits of their life, there is no evidence of them applying the principles. They're still living in the same condition they was living in five, six, seven, eight years ago. And if you're going to kid yourself and think that you have accomplished something and nothing has changed in that amount of time and you call yourself a follower, someone who applies to principles, then you're lying to yourself. You're not fooling me. You're not fooling you. You're not even fooling some of the listeners that be be listening on. See, I'm only saying all these things because it's either you're going to start applying the principles or go somewhere else and listen. Because the movement that's happening here in hindsight is about progress. Not about sitting there talking about doing stuff. We talk, we, we, we're not only speaking it, we're acting it. And this, 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 this uh, private class that I'm doing, premium membership I'm doing, really shows me the real people who want to make a change in their life, who want to make a difference. It really is exposing things. I am really thankful that the spirit moved me to start this premium membership because it, it, it's for the whole part. It's a, it's, it's a, a complete success. But back to this dead thinking, I guess the best way I can do it is to even just read from the book of John, John chapter 11. It says the death of Lazarus. And that's what we got. We got the people, our people are dead, just like Lazarus in their thinking. Yeah. When you see them physically, they look alive, but their life, their spiritual life doesn't reflect it. They're operating selfishly. Looking to get over on their, 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 get over on whoever they can get over on, and think their their slick words is gonna make a difference. All right, here we go. Verse one. At this time, a man named Lazarus was sick. Lazarus re- represents people who are sick, who don't know that God works through them. And eventually, if you live out this sickness, the sickness of believing that you are, you are not God in the flesh, 
you are not a divine creation of God and so so that God works through you, that sickness is going to lead to death. He lived in Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary, whose brother Lazarus was sick, was to anoint the Lord with perfume and wipe his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. See, the mastermind, the true creator of all things, loves all. And he knows you're sick. When Jesus heard this, he said, the sick, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. See, the Christ mind already knew well, I'm, I'm, this is going to be taken care of. See, this is how we have to start thinking, that when we are in our minds have this, this sickness of we're less than what God made us to be. We have this sickness of fear of moving forward into the things that is going to make us better or do better for ourselves and our family. Those are all sicknesses. Because you're supposed to have dominion over all things. And the very first thing you need to have dominion over is your mind, your thoughts how you're perceiving things. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Lazarus. And on hearing that Lazarus, Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. You see, people are coming to you all from your family, your mom, your dad, your, your, your husband, your wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, Brothers and sisters, they all come into you sick with these th- sick thoughts. I can't do this. I can't. I can't. Um, that ain't going to work. This is hard. These are all sickness. These are, these are all sicknesses of the mind. Not knowing their true power. Rabbi, they replied, the Jews just tried to stone you, and you are going back there. See, Christ didn't care. They tried to get him. They tried to kill him. But he knew his power. He knew what needed to be done. He needed to show this example that the dead can come back to life. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? If anyone walks in the daytime, he will not stumble because he sees by the light of this world. But if anyone walks at night, he will stumble because he has no light. After he had said this, he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. See, like I said, Lazarus represents all of us being awakened from a deep coma, a deep sleep. Now, some of us are somewhat awakened. And I won't be so uh, bold to say that I'm fully awake. I'm still waking up myself. But I'm awoke enough that, hey, I see that a lot of other people are still sleeping, do not realize the power. They do not realize that God is in them. God works through them. Everything they're seeing, everything they're 
having all the experience that they are experiencing is as a, a result of their God power, like it or not. His disciples replied, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will get better. They thought that Jesus was talking about actual sleep, but he was speaking about the death of Lazarus. He was speaking about the dead mindset. That mindset that has fear, that mindset that is always negative, that mindset that is judgmental towards others, that mindset that wants to seek revenge if someone does some does them wrong. That mindset that believes that it that is weak. That's the dead mindset. Uh, where was I? So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. So Jesus comforts Martha and Mary. Let me go back to that. He said, let us go so that we may die with them. So what are they going to die of? They're going to die away from their own doubt and fears and be resurrected to light. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already spent four days in the tomb. Now, Bethany, that's four days. Remember I said four days represents completeness. Said this last week. I mentioned it partially last week. These all numbers that represent stuff. And I know I said last week I would we decipher those numbers that were mentioned in the scripture that I let last week, but like always, the spirit has a the ancestors have another agenda. So here we go. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, a little less than two miles away, and many of G- the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them in the loss of their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you have been here, my brother would have not have died. But even now, I know that God would give you whatever you ask of him. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha replied, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? My question is, do you believe this? What is he talking about? Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. See, even though you have these dead mindsets, but then you come to the realization that you are the Christ that you're looking for, you live. You begin to live a life of prosperity. You begin to live a life of abundance. You begin to take advantage of your inheritance. Because you can never inherit anything that this Abrahamic trust has for you 
until you realize and come out of your dead thinking. And what, let, let me give you some prime example of these dead thinkings. Like this whole idea that Biden or Trump can save you. These governmental officials and their rules and regulations can fix your problems. They haven't fixed your problems since the day you was born. They haven't fixed your parents' problems. They haven't fixed your ancestors' problems. So why do people keep believing in these people? I'll tell you why. Because they are suffering from the Lazarus effect. They are dead in their mindsets. And they can't see that the true light, the true God, is in them. So what they do is they go find false gods, the government. And sometimes the false gods can be even a pastor or a priest who is not teaching you that you are God in the flesh. Any pastor, any priest, any rabbi who doesn't give you that teaching is a false teacher. That doesn't tell you that the God and the Christ you're looking for is staring at you in the mirror every day. If they're not telling you that, then they're false. And if you're not telling yourself that, then you're just like Lazarus before he was raised from the dead. Whoa. See, I know some people are still stuck on old Christian teachings. But see, we're going back to the original teachings. You cannot be anything or have anything until you become it. You want saving? You got to become your own savior. You got to put in the work. And just to take a little side road, I'm a little bit disturbed by some of the men who call themselves men who can't make a simple decision for themselves. Who cannot look at something and say, this is what I will do. I don't need to get on an email with Akeem or whoever to get this answer when the answer is staring you right in the face. That's not act, that's not exercising your God power. That's access, exercising dead power. That's act, exercising Lazarus power pre-resurrection. That's what that is. But I hear these same brothers complaining about women. We don't have, brothers, we don't have time to complain about the women. We can't. We don't have time. We got so much work to do for ourselves. Stop concentrating on the women and concentrate on yourself. Get yourself together. Get your mind right. Become the leader in the man you say you want to be. I know all of you who took this journey with me, who who are, you know, part of the membership and all of that. Some of y'all might be saying, I ain't signed up for this type of tongue lashing. 
what did you sign up for? Because a lot of y'all knew me before. Yeah, I didn't play with my words before, and I'm not. I'm not playing with them now. We got to start representing ourselves as leaders, fellas. And another side rule before I continue this, because this must be said, I get a lot of you fellas calling me about rectifying your child support. Then when I hear your stories, y'all put yourselves in that position. It's all on you. Start taking responsibility for where you are in this child support issue that you got. Yes, I this this now I'm not speaking to the brothers that are honestly behind or they had an issue that came up where it became out of control. I'm not talking to you brothers. I'm talking about you 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 brothers who call me with your sob ass stories and then when I hear your story I say, Wait a minute, hold the phone. You mean to tell me you did what? And now you're complaining why you're in this position? I'm not gonna go into any details because you know, those conversations are kind of private, but they not kind of, they are. But what I'm saying is, you know who I, you know who I'm talking to. Get your act together, man. I have children. Most of them are grown. I have one, my daughter's 14. And I can tell you straight, straight up, definitively, I don't have none of those problems y'all got. Was I on child support at one time? Yes. A very, my, my oldest son, only my oldest son for a few years. And then somehow it just went away. It, you know, it, I, I could tell you that story, but see, that's when you're working in honest and true. When you really want to do right. When you're doing right. When you spend your last to go pick your child up 12 years, 12 hours away one way and 12 hours back another way with just enough money to get gas and maybe a snack. Are you willing to do that? And if you're not willing to do that, then I'm I'm telling you straight up, you're sorry. No, I ain't got no money. I can't, I can't go get, I can't get them kids now because I, I, I'm short on money. No, I didn't have any money, but somebody gave me some money to go. I didn't let not money not stop me or stop me from go getting my son. Now my son's my oldest son stays with me now, him and my grandson, they stay here with me. I'm not saying this to brag. I'm telling y'all, y'all can't tell me the BS stories because I it was hard for me when I had money issues and, and when I went through the to, to spend time with my son. And the, and the women that I was with at that time always supported me in that. When I did that, they, they, they listen, my very first wife, or my second wife, whatever, when it comes to my children, I don't get any problems because they know the type of man I am when it comes to the children. And in, in my relationship, they can call me a lot of things. And one thing they can never say that I was not a good provider. Or I was not consistent. 
damn what she doing with her life. I ain't got time to be in her business like that. I got to tend to my own business. Yes, I repeat it. I traveled all the way from South Carolina to New York to pick up my son with maybe a couple of hundred dollars in my pocket. And if you know, gas was pretty cheap at that time. That was enough for gas and maybe some food. And I needed to hold on as much as I as as I could because I still had to go get back and go to work. Imagine that traveling from there to there with a I think it was less than around two hundred bucks. Imagine that. And I, I remember a guy was trying to get out of child support. His child support, literally, y'all not even going to believe it. His child support was $10 a week. And y'all know I hung up the phone on him. But let me get back on this scripture here. And then after he said, do you believe this? 27, yes, Lord, she answered, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. Are you the Christ? Can someone say to you, I believe you are the Christ coming to save the world? Are you saying that to yourself? It's okay if you do. Because if you save yourself, then you can save the world. Because it's not by your words that people are saved. They are saved by your actions. See, some of y'all are trying to tell people, yo, you need to do this. You got to set up the trust. You got to do your birth certificate. Y'all doing all this chit-chatting. Y'all doing all this talking. But you don't have living examples of what you're doing. What you're doing is not showing any fruit. People are not going to listen to that. That's why Jesus had had to let time pass. Let his brother pass on in his dead thinking and then come back and raise him up because that's where the truth the truth will be revealed who he was after Martha had said this she went back and called her sister Mary aside to tell her the teacher is here and is asking for you and when Mary heard this she got up quickly and went to him now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were in the house of consoling Mary saw how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary came to Jesus and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. So he was troubled by this. Not because he he knew he what he was about to do. He was troubled because they was they were sick too. They didn't know the power that resided in themselves. So he had to show them through his example by resurrecting Lazarus that you guys can do the same thing. Jesus wept. You know, for years this 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 confused me. Why did he wept? Why did why did he wept? Why did he 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 cry over this when he knew he what he was about to do? 
I can tell you why. Because I live it every day. When you watch people, you give them information, and they come to you and they ask you, and they don't apply it. They don't know their own power. And you know that that power is in them, but they just, you see it, but they don't see it. And this is why he wept. They, he didn't wept because they didn't believe, because they, they didn't know that he could raise them. He wept because he, they, he knew that they had the same power. They didn't need him to do it. All they had to do was believe in the God in them. And that's what the Christ represents, showing you what you can do. It's all about you, not putting any other gods before you. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them asked, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept Lazarus from dying? See, here here come the naysayers. Here come the criticizers trying to kill the kill the power before before the power manifests 38 Jesus once again deeply moved came to the tomb it was a cave with the stone laid across the entrance take away the stone Jesus said Lord by now he stinks says Martha the sister of the the dead man it has already been 4 days it has already been completed he has already started to rot in his his stinking thinking his negative ways. And some of y'all are stink with these negative thinking. Some of some people out there, that's in your household, that's what's going on. Saying negative things. You give them good ideas and everything you say, they shoot it down. Instead of seeing the power within themselves that they can do it, that it can happen. Isn't that disappointing? When you when you when you can see the power in someone else? And, 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 and they don't see it for themselves. But the only way you can show them is what Christ did. only way you can show them is by your own example, by raising yourself up from the dead. Jesus replied, did I not tell you if you believe you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted his eyes upward and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. See how he did that? He spoke in the now. He spoke in the present. He said, Father, I thank you. You have heard me. He didn't speak in some future tense. He didn't speak, well, Father, thank you for doing this later. See, some of y'all are looking for blessings and looking for your prosperity to come, but y'all saying stuff like, oh, my business is going to be good. My money is going to get right. And when you speak like that, nothing happens because there is no such thing as the future. There is no such thing as the past. We only live in this moment. This is all we have. We have infinite moments of now. There's no such thing as time. It's all an illusion. So when you're trying to make things happen for yourself, you have to say, I am a millionaire. I am prosperous. If you want a good relationship, I have a re- good relationship. I have love in my in my life. I have a good husband. I have a good wife. 
I have a great family. You have to speak as if you already have it. You see? See, and that's how they were thinking. Well, if you'd have came before in the past, we you could we could have stopped this. They was they was they were stuck. Instead of looking at the moment, okay, what we what's going on right now? Pay attention. Watch how Christ is moving. Because he's moving with full authority. Are you moving with full authority in your life? No. Some of y'all not. Because as soon as you get hit with a small question, oh, oh my God. I got to get on this email, 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 email. I got to call, I got to call. Instead of thinking through. And the answer comes. I don't have anybody I could email and ask a question to. Guess who I'm emailing? Guess who I'm calling? Nobody. Nobody you can see. Because all my answers come straight out to the, the heavens the higher consciousness of my mind through the ancestors that worked through me, through the God that worked through me. That's where it comes. This is how y'all getting this remedy. Now, do I get aid and, and, and little glimpse from other people who show me things? Yes, most definitely. And I think that, but that's another avenue of getting information. But most of my encouragement, most of my information comes directly from divine intervention. I don't have anybody, oh, you know, now this guy's I call with, you know, clarifications or certain things, yes. Yes, that's good. But some, I see people every time they get a little, first thing they're looking for is a false God to answer their question. I am not God to you. I am not your God. I am my own God. And you are your own God. So the first person, the first God you're supposed to go to is you, your own God within you, working in you. That's your first responsibility. And just to take a little side road before I finish this, it says it right here in Matthew chapter 6. Where is it? Where is it? Where is this scripture? Put forth the kingdom of heaven first. Then all these things will will, will be added to you. What? What, 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 uh, what? what kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of God. The God in you. Go to that God first. Go to your God first. See, so many people got false gods. And the reason why they, they don't get anything because they go into a false God that cannot tell them anything, give them false direction. Go to yourself. That's what I'm teaching. That's the real teaching I'm teaching. Yeah, I'll teach y'all how to do this. I'm showing y'all where to go get your trust done and do your 1041s and all of that. Yes, that I'm leading y'all down that path. You know, do your commerce properly. But the, the, my main teaching is to teach you how to see yourself as God. And don't be ashamed of it. And anybody that looks down at you or call you blasphemous for you, hey, sorry you feel that way, but that doesn't change the fact that I see myself as God. Because me thinking this way has done well for me. 
Me having that mindset allows me to give myself and my family a good lifestyle of peace, prosperity, and extreme wealth. Now, you could go ahead and continue down the path of those dead preachers, those dead preaching teachings that they've been given all of these years that lead you down the path of go vote for this guy, go see this guy, and all of that, and keep doing that stuff over and over, and, and you see where our people are right now. We're more lost than we ever were. Dancing in the street for some pale face who don't give a damn about you. All right, let me keep going. Let's get back to John. So they took away the stone that Jesus lifted his eyes up with and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. See, he knew it. There was was an expectation of greatness. But I say this for the benefit of the people standing here so they may believe that you sent me. He was only doing it for that just so they could see. He didn't have to put on that show. He just said, you know, he could have did it from anywhere, you know. After Jesus said this, he, he called out in a loud, loud voice, Lazarus, come out with authority. The man who had been dead came out with his hands and feet bound in strips of linen and his face wrapped in a cloth. Unwrap him and let him go, Jesus told them. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. See, some of them went off and snitched. See, this is going to happen to you. As you raise up in your God power, people are going to snitch on you. They're going to go, hey, he he thinks he's God. She thinks she's God. He's doing all kinds of things. His family living good. They're going to try to trip you up. They're going to try to hurt you. But don't worry. You'll be fine. You got to go through that. All elevation, all degrees of elevation goes goes through a degree of pain. And the pain you're really dealing with is a mental pain. So it's you can deal with that. Just know that that's what it is. A degree of opposition. It's part of the process. When a seed is in the ground, what does it have to do? When you plant a seed for that plant to get out, what does it have to do? It has to break that seed up. It has to fight its way out, break it open in order to blossom. That's you. Once you understand your God power, you got to break out of this shell, this dead shell, and, and blossom out into this divine manifestation of the God that you was created to be. So remember, you are God. There's no you can believe that or not. That's on you. Because you are you are having dominion over something, whether it's you having dominion over your prosperity and, and, and flourishing in that, or you having dominion over your own issues, brokenness, poverty. You having dominion, one way or the other. You got dominion because that is a law of God for you to have dominion. Now, you have to make the choice of what you're having dominion over. Now, if you if your your life is full of 
poverty and issues and things like that, then you have to change. Hey, listen, I don't want to have dominion over death and destruction and having a Lazarus dead mindset. I want to be the Lazarus post dead. I want to, I want to be the Lazarus that got resurrected. I want to be the Lazarus that has the light, a new, a new outlook. That's the Lazarus I want to be. And there you have it. Be the God in your life in order to have power. Without power, without that, nothing works. Well, let me change that. Stuff works, but it ain't working for you. It's working against you. All right. I appreciate everybody who took time to listen to that. Oh, that lesson about your God power. Uh, Last week, uh, I was in uh, Mexico. (laughs) Me and Beth was in Mexico. Actually, her birthday is actually today. But um, they had those rules about the test on the way back, so we moved the vacation up, you know, so we didn't have to deal with all these COVID tests and all that. And we had a great time. We stayed at a very nice place, very upscale place. It was it was nice. Um, I'm not going to sit here and brag on it and, you know, and talk about it too much because then she'd think I'm bragging, but – it was nice. We had a good time, man. I, it was a good time for me to recharge and do things, and and that recharge woke me up about some things about myself mostly. That I still got some waking up to do, you know. So what I talked about today is not just about you; it's all about me as well. Remember, I always tell you, I'm really talking to myself, but I'm hoping you're getting something out of it. So. Yeah, we had a great time. And, and, and listen, and w- one thing y'all need to stop doing is some of y'all stop watching the news, turn that stuff off, because what they talking about Mexico over here ain't happening in Mexico, okay? Them people are relaxed. They're living their lives. And, it's, <laughs> you know, they're, yeah, they're doing, you know, following some of these protocols. But for the most part, those people are living and, and loving life. You can see it in their life. Now they, you can, they don't know some of them don't have a lot of money, but you don't see any depression in them, like over here. You don't see that people anxious and upset and uptight. These people living, you know, you know, living a, a pretty relaxed life. They're content, and I know that I'm gonna have to retire somewhere in some tropical island because my allergies are doing better. Uh, you know, my skin felt really nice and smooth and, and, and healthy feeling. Yeah. You know, they see they tricked y'all about the Mexican water, right? See, the reason why the, the water does you like that over there is because their water is cleaner than ours. And so what happens, you drink that clean water, and all of a sudden your body goes through a cleansing process, which creates you to go to the bathroom a little bit more, a lot more. Yeah. See, see, they lie to us so much over here about oh, they got they they drinking water is this that and the other. Nah, that stuff y'all got coming out of that tap is nothing but toilet water that they done process and they and they mask it with uh, different chemicals so you don't smell how that water really smells so you don't taste what's really in that water. Y'all do realize they can't get all them chemicals out. Them drugs. Y'all, yeah, you drinking tap water, you drinking drugs too. 
hey, you know, I hate to tell you, that's why I distill my water. And then I, you know, I know it, yeah, distilled water is purified and you got to get your minerals back. So I do that through either sea moss or uh, shilajit. Um, so if anybody got a question, comment, put your hands up. If not, I I had some, I have some teachings I want to teach, but right now, only thing I'm being prompted to do is get this, this, uh, mind science, right? Get these, these teachings on showing you that you are the God in your life. You are, that's, that's this, this. There is no way around it until you realize that and become to believe that and that you are orchestrating everything. There's no God in the sky coming down and doing this. There's no devil after you, but the devil of your mind. Things won't change until you realize that. Oh, hey, I guess with all these people on, nobody got a question? Okay. All right. Well, I'll tell y'all what. What I'm going to do, I'm going to shut it down. <laughs> you can only preach for so much for so long. Now, y'all can go take those scriptures, reread them for yourself. And um, and, and, and apply them. But see, let me see what I'm going to leave y'all with. Now I'll go back to what I started out with, the prodigal son, because that's how we're acting like the prodigal son. Left home and forgot where our real true power is. But before I go, we got Solomon's Tipple show tomorrow at 10 a.m. I know we haven't done it in a few weeks, but we got to get back on track. Um, Jessica and Tasia's show, the Divine Connection show, every Thursday. And y'all got to give them a hand. They, they, they're they almost a year on the ear. You know, they, they're sticking it out, making it work. And that's a good thing. And then we have the, the Raising Independent Thinkers show on Sunday. Got to give her a hand, too, sticking it out, deliberately creating new content, having guests on. She's got a guest coming on uh, next week, this coming Sunday. Let's see. I know I got the email. Let me see who that guest is. Oh, let me find that email. Okay. It's going to, the show is going to be on literacy strategies for reading with literacy coach Farida Goodman. So literacy coach Farida Goodman is coming on Sunday as a guest. So tune in on Sunday to, to hear that. Uh, that's going to be a great show. And then we got Monday's the Bombay show. Um, good brother, support those shows. All of those people are working with me for a very specific reason because they have very specific talents. And, you know, the ladies that work with me represent what sisters should be striving to be. And I feel like I got something else to say, and I, I, I'm, I'm forgetting. Oh. Um, no. All right. With that being said, peace. This is a session which is part of the series titled Wisdom for Happy, Successful Living.
This is the first session in that series, Wisdom for Happy Successful Living. This is an esoteric study of selected parables of Jesus. And since we've used the term esoteric, let us address ourselves to its meaning for a moment. Esoteric indicates inner, inner meaning, spiritual meaning, real meaning. Words and figures are exoteric, outer, external symbols. Esoteric interpretation reveals the inner, real meaning behind the exoteric are outer words and symbols. The first parable that I have selected for our study is the parable of the prodigal son. It is my favorite parable. Also, in his story of the life of Christ, calls it the greatest story ever told, to which I'm in agreement. This parable of the prodigal son, told by Jesus, I call the sweetest story ever told. And since we're talking about parables, let's get a working definition for the word parable. I like the following definition, which I will quote from Dr. Irving Seale's book, Learn to Live. Dr. Seale states, literally, the word parable means a comparison. It is from the Latin parabola, which in turn is from the Greek word which means placing beside, to compare, similitude. Every parable, therefore, is two stories placed side by side, or two meanings thrown beside each other for comparison, unquote. Now, I want to give you my definition of parable. Parable, one story which tells another story. By comparison, another story between the lines of a story, a second story beside the first story. I think that's an interesting definition for parable, and right away I will have to address myself to those who call themselves fundamentalists and insist upon a literal interpretation of the scripture. I'm going to make this statement and never forget it. If is impossible to interpret the Bible literally and get the intended meaning. The Bible itself, and the writer says of Jesus, without a parable spake he not unto them. Now that's interesting. St. Matthew, the 13th chapter, and the 34th verse. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables. And without a parable spake he not unto them. Then how in the world are you going to interpret or understand Jesus Christ literally? I mean, how in the world is a whole religious belief system to say we interpret the Bible literally? I mean, professors with doctorate, DD, with schools and theological cemeteries, I mean seminaries galore, thousands of them, the world over, who will declare we are fundamentalists and we interpret the Bible literally. No wonder they don't know who Jesus is or who they are. I just read you the scripture that says of Jesus that he spake to them in a multitude of parables. And without a parable spake he not unto them. And so a parable is what a two-story 
story. Now, that is good. I've never heard that before. Pretty good, Reverend Ike. Pretty good. So, again, I want to make the statement, and it would help a lot of religious people the world over if they would understand the statement which I repeat. It is impossible to interpret the Bible literally and get the intended meaning. Yes, there is a lot of history in the Bible, but history is not the intended purpose of the Bible. All of the personalities and events of the Bible are dramatizations of the working of the consciousness of man. So again, my definition of parable. A parable is one story which tells another story by comparison. A parable is another story between the lines of a story. A parable is a second story beside the first story. A parable is a two-story story. I like that. That's original, by the way, with Reverend Ike. Just hot off of the press. And so now we are about to consider the parable of the prodigal son from the lips of Jesus. The first story in the story of the prodigal son is certainly a beautiful story. As I say, the sweetest story ever told because it is the story of the great love between a father and his son. That's the first story. But if that is as far as you go with the story, if that's all you get, you have missed the real story. You can get a lot of beautiful things out of the Bible, but you must always look for the second story. Now, here is a rule of hermeneutics, which all of the professors at the theological cemetery may or may not approve of. But I say that in all Scripture, there is always a second story. Together, in all Scripture, there is always a second story. And get in the habit, as you study the Scriptures from this point on, of looking for the second story. And unless you get a second story, you have not gotten the story. For example, in the parable of the prodigal son, it's a beautiful story to see the great love between that father and that son. But you've missed it all if you do not go to the second story and understand that this is also the story of how much God loves you, all mankind. As a second story, the parable of the prodigal son is also the revelation of how man gets away from God in his thinking and what happens to man when he gets away from God in his thinking. But it is also the story of how man may come back to God in his thinking and the blessing of man coming back to God in his thinking. The story between the lines. The second story of the first story in the parable of the prodigal son also identifies the father's house as man's true consciousness of God. And unless you get that second story behind the first story, or beside the first story, you have really missed the whole story. As a matter of fact, all of life is a two-story story. 
And when you come to understand that even your life is a two-story story, then you can get a handle on your life. You see, because the outer story or the outer experience of your life is only a projection of the thinking story that's going on in your mind. Your experience is not the real story of your life. Your thinking is the real story. That's where the real happening happens in your mind. Now, to the sweetest story ever told. The parable of the prodigal son from the lips of Jesus Christ, from St. Luke, the 15th chapter, the 11th through the 32nd verses. And he said... A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto him his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took a journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell upon his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. Now his eldest son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and would not go in. Therefore came his father out, and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, I have served thee these many years. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. 
And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. The sweetest story ever told. We have the first story. Now, let's consider the second story of the story. The esoteric meaning. The inner meaning. The meaning beside the meaning. Let us get now a working definition of the term prodigal son. You will be defining the prodigal son's state of consciousness in several different ways as we consider this study. Prodigal son is, first of all, a state of consciousness. And prodigal son is every man who is away from the consciousness of his true relationship with God. Prodigal son is every man who is away from the consciousness of his identity, his oneness with God. Prodigal son is he that is afar off from God in consciousness, uh, in his thinking. Because it is only in erroneous thinking that man can be away from God. Actually, man can never be away from God. Not in actuality, but in erroneous thinking, man can wander away from God. And unfortunately, the mass of mankind is away from God in thinking. Anyone who thinks or believes that he is someone or something separate from God is a prodigal son. And religion makes more prodigal sons than perhaps anything else in the universe. Because religion has taught man that God is one thing and he is another. I'm going to be repetitious purposely and redundant purposely because there are certain ideas that I want to impress vividly upon your subconscious mind. Man can never actually be apart from God. The worst so-called sinner is not actually apart from God. He is apart from God in his false belief, in his erroneous thinking. And because he thinks, he believes, he is in a state of false consciousness of apartness from God. He therefore thinks like the devil and lives like the devil. Anytime man thinks, believes, or lives in the false consciousness of being something or somewhere separate from God, he will think like the devil and live like the devil and catch hell. As a matter of fact, that's what hell is. A state of consciousness. A state of false believing that one is apart from God. That is hell. That is sin. That is error. Now, you see, you've got another working definition of hell and devil. Man has to become reunited consciously with God by his thinking process. This is why the evangelists, the soul savers, have never been successful in saving the world and never will be. 
because they have tried to get man's behind to do right without working on man's mind to get it to think right. Pardon the gross analogy, but I believe it is graphic and dramatic and makes you see what I mean. The behind cannot do right until the mind thinks right. Say that with me. The behind cannot do right until the mind thinks right. So you see, all of this evangelistic soul-saving preaching is after the behind, trying to get it to do right. Stop drinking. Stop smoking. Stop homongering. Stop lying. Stop stealing. But you see, that's only what? One story. But there's another story. There's the inner story, the esoteric story. There is the mind side of man. And the mind side must be corrected before the behind side can be corrected. It is the mind that guides the behind. And the one law for getting material affairs, material situations straightened out is in Romans, the 12th chapter, and it is probably the one verse of Scripture that I quote more than any other. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, I repeat, man cannot actually be apart from God. Impossible. No matter how good or how bad he seems to be. Man's apartness from God is always in false thinking. The belief that you are separate and apart from God is hell. It's the only hell. And I don't care how many churches you belong to or how many religious creeds you embrace, as long as you believe that you are apart from God, as long as you believe that God is one thing and you're another, as long as you believe that God is one place and you are another, you're going to be in hell and you're going to catch hell. Whenever the Christian preachers preach about Job, they usually use the title, Why do the righteous suffer? In other words, why do morally and ethically good people that wouldn't harm a fly, that tuck their Bibles under their arms and go to church every night, why do they suffer? Don't understand why such a good woman would suffer. Why such a good man would suffer. Why he's a deacon in his church. Wouldn't harm a flea. Why do the righteous suffer? As I've told you before, you can be morally and ethically straight, but mentally crooked. If you're listening to somebody preaching and pounding into you some kind of an idea that's based on believing that God is somewhere else, that God is something else and you're another, that Jesus is the Son of God and you're a son of a gun, all of that separates you from God and it will cause you to catch hell. Well, you see, the only place of heaven, the only place of provision, the only place of supply, the only place of comfort is in the Father's house. To come back to the Father's house, which means to come back to the consciousness of your oneness with God. The prodigal son, when he in his thinking left the Father, when he tried to leave the Father, remember he said, Father, give me my portion that belongs to me. In other words, I don't want to be identified with you anymore. I want to be my own man. Give me my own separate identity and let me go. That was an act of separating himself from the Father in thought, in consciousness, in false consciousness. The moment he said that, his substance began to be wasted in riotous living. Disorderly thinking is the riotous living here. 
As long as you think that God is one thing and you're another, that God is one place and you're another, your substance will be wasted. Your life will be wasted. And he only found his comfort, his supply, his joy, and his true life when he came back to the consciousness of his true self, which is the Father's house. That's the story of the story. Let us continue. We can never be actually apart from God, for in him we live and move and have our being. We are also his offspring. Acts the 17th chapter and the 28th verse. I told you in one of the sessions previously that the Bible is a very dangerous thing, and it is. And I started to sell them in our bookstore, but I changed my mind. It's dangerous to turn some people loose with the Bible. Yes, I love the Bible. Even the Bible itself says about itself that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And a man who is undisciplined should not be turned loose with a two-edged sword. Because again, the Bible says that it must be spiritually discerned. Only the inner spirit can reveal to you the meaning of the inner word. All right. The relationship, the oneness of God and man can never change. It is man's consciousness of the relationship that changes, varies, and wanders. The prodigal son is the mind of man that wanders away from God, good, into the far country of error belief. The true relationship of God and man is father and son. This relationship was demonstrated by Jesus. We continually hear him say, I and my father are one. This is a quotation from John, the 10th chapter and the 30th verse. Here is another definition of Jesus. Jesus is the demonstration of the relationship of God and every man. Jesus is the demonstration of the relationship between God and every man. In the story of the prodigal son, the far country is a state of false belief, a state of error, a state of sin where one falsely and sinfully believes that he is a being separate and apart from God. This is human consciousness. The results of living in the far country of human consciousness are wasted substance, riotous living, famine, and want. And the reason why these negative conditions exist on a worldwide basis is because man as a mass believes that he is one thing and God is another. Man, kind as a whole, believes that God is one place and he is another. You've got to get rid of that God that sits up in the sky while you are down on earth catching hell. Now, in the story of the prodigal son, let us notice the process of repentance, conversion, salvation, and transformation. This process is indicated in the parable of the prodigal son by the words, He came to himself. Say that with me. He came to himself. There is a meaning. Certainly there is a second story even to these words. He came to himself. Now, if you're a literalist, you'll have to stop and ask yourself, and what does it mean he came to himself? It has to be a mental process, a spiritual process. He came to the divine idea of himself. In his mind, he came to the realization of who he really is in God and who God really is in him. He came back to that in his mind. I love to quote the song that Nancy Wilson sings. 
I've never been to me. The song goes on to say, I've been to Paris, and I've been to Rio, I've been to this place, I've been to that place, and I've been to the other place. But the song goes on to say, but I've never been to me. What a mystic song. Man is away from himself as long as he falsely thinks and believes that God is one thing and he is another. Man is away from himself until he comes to the realization that Jesus gave us, quote, I and my Father are one, unquote. When you come to that realization, that in truth is coming to Christ. The evangelists tell us to come to Christ. Unfortunately, too many times when we are told to come to Christ, they're talking about an outer Christ, a historical Christ, a theological Christ, a doctrinal Christ, a creedal Christ. Christ is really the God in you. And to come to Christ means to come to the realization of God in you. You have not come to Christ until you come to the realization of God in you. As Paul says it, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So say with me, Christ in me, my hope of glory. The evangelists also tell us, accept Christ as your personal Savior. That's a beautiful statement. But again, too often, that is an external statement, which means accept some outer God. And we're told in the first commandments, thou shall have no other. <laughs> thou shall have no other God also means thou shall have no outer gods. Thou shall have no other gods also means what? Thou shalt have no outer gods. If you have any outer Christ, you have not yet come to Christ. If you have any outer gods, you have nothing but idol gods, false gods. The prodigal son came to himself and noticed how beautifully the story tells it if you read between the lines the story behind the story. He came to himself and immediately he came to his father. That just pulls the veil. Look at it. It's been there all the time. He came to himself and he came to his father. When you discover God, you discover yourself. When you discover yourself, you discover God. At the same time, if you ever claim that you discovered God and you have never been to you, look within. Yes, it is the Christ that saves us. Yes, there is no other name, no other nature, no other reality, no other power, no other anything given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved, but the realization of our own oneness with God. Prodigal son came to himself. He came to a consciousness of who he really was. He came to a consciousness and realization of his divine relationship, his divine father, his divine sonship. He came to a consciousness of what he had in his father. Bread enough and to spare. He came to a consciousness of the abundance in his father his riches and glory. He came to a consciousness that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He came to himself means that he awakened out of the false dream. He awakened out of the hypnotic spell of mortal suggestion into the reality of spirit. You see, the world, the masses of people are hypnotized. 
The average person is hypnotized in a hypnotic spell as to true identity. I love this quotation. Man is God asleep. God is man awake. Paul says in the scriptures, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. You remember the story in the life of Jesus, where Jesus and the disciples were out on the waters, and the storm came up and tossed the ship about so that the disciples feared that they would perish in the storm. And so they went down into the depth of the ship where Jesus was asleep. <laughs> Are you getting the story behind the story now? Isn't it beautiful once you learn to get the story behind the story? See, the literalist would never get anything out of that but a boat ride. <laughs> the disciples, disciplined states of mind, will awaken the Christ within you to take over the control of your life. The disciples went down into the boat. There were disciplined spiritual states of mind in the subconscious which awoke and took control of the situation. This is the meaning of Jesus being awakened in the ship, taking control and assuring safety. The prodigal son came to himself, his divine self, the father within. He came to the consciousness that he was not human but divine and had no business at the pig pen in want, righteous living, and famine. So he said to himself, in a modern translation by Reverend Ike, let me get the hell out of here. You know that's a beautiful prayer, let me get the hell out of here. The next time you find yourself in a hell of a condition, I dare you to try that prayer. Let me get the hell out of here. Now, I know you'd never get that prayer in the average church. If you find yourself in a state of depression, snap out of it right away. Say to yourself, let me get the hell out of here. Let me get out of this ungodly state of consciousness. If you catch yourself experiencing any kind of want, lack, or limitation, get the hell out of there and go to the Father. The Father is the source, the source of good, the source of all, the source of health, happiness. Love, success, prosperity, money. The father is the source of total well-being. The prodigal son said, to quote him in his words, that was Reverend Ike's translation, let me get the hell out of here. But the King James Version puts it nicely in Elizabethan English. I will arise and go to my father. Oh, still beautiful, isn't it? Still means the same thing. I'm getting the hell out of here. So if you ever find your attitude negative, how are you going to get rid of it? I said, I'm getting the hell out of here. Because that's not where I belong. I belong in the Father's house. My Father has bread and enough to spare. And here I am messing around in the pig pen, can't pay rent. Doctor can't even find out what the trouble is. The soothsayers don't even know. I don't belong in this pig pen. Come on, say that to me. I don't belong in this pig pen. See, this is the process of repentance, conversion, salvation, and transformation beginning to take place. He came to himself. The Christ, the Son of the living God, belongs only one place, and that is in heaven, sitting on the right hand of God. 
And if you understand again the life of Jesus, and I believe even in the Apostles' Creed, it says that he arose on the third day. He arose from the dead and he ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God. And Philip had his consciousness open and he looked into heaven and said, I see Jesus. I see heaven open. Not realizing that Philip is a state of consciousness within all of us wherein heaven opens. It isn't good enough for heaven to have opened 2,000 years ago and for Philip to see Jesus, heaven better open now. And it had better open in your mind, in your life, in your circumstances. He said, I see heaven open and I see Jesus. When your mind opens, you'll see Jesus. Sitting on the right hand of God. What does that mean, sitting on the right hand of God? To sit on the right hand of God means to be on the positive side of divine power. Again, to sit on the right hand of God means to be on the positive side of divine power. You see, that's heaven. When you get on the wrong side of God, that's hell. Only one God, the same God. You can get on any side you want, to the negative side or the positive side. The prodigal son came to himself, and he knew he did not belong there. As I said, the Christ, the Son of the living God, belongs where? In heaven. Oh, yes. And the ascension of Jesus again is not just something for you to interpret simply, literally, and say, isn't that wonderful, uh, Jesus took an elevator to heaven. The ascension of Jesus symbolizes the truth that you must rise to the Christ consciousness. You must rise to heavenly consciousness. You must rise to spiritual consciousness. I will arise and be my divine self. I will arise and claim my divine rights to health, happiness, love, success, prosperity, and money. I will arise and recognize and acknowledge the presence of God within and that in that presence is all that I need. Now, he arose, went to the Father. Notice the confession. Father, I have sinned. Father, I have erred. Sin, the word sin in the New Testament comes from the original Greek word hamatia, which means missing the mark. Father, I have missed the mark. How? By thinking that I could separate myself from you. This is how man sins, and this is the only sin. There is only one sin in the whole universe, and most religious people are guilty of that one sin. There is only one sin. That one sin is missing the mark of who and what you are in God and who and what God is in you. And when you miss that, you see, then you wind up in all that other stuff. The other stuff that preachers call sin are really only the results of thinking that you are separate and apart from God. That's the one sin. That is the missing of the mark, thinking that you are separate and apart from God. All of these other acts of negative commission are only the results of that one false thinking. You see, once you believe that you are separate and apart from God, it's all over. Forget it. You see, Jesus is the Savior. What does that mean? Jesus is the God-conscious man. Jesus is that state of perfect God-consciousness within you. Jesus is that perfect state of God-consciousness within me. Now, you see, that's the Savior. And that perfect state of God-consciousness comes to you while you're in your negative condition 
just like in the story of the prodigal son, while he was in his negative condition, a state of God consciousness came to him. And he said, my father has bread enough and to spare. A consciousness of his divine sonship came to him and saved him. Uh-huh. Follow me closely. Are you getting it? As long as Jesus again is somebody else, somewhere else, sometime else, as long as Jesus is some historical religious figure in a long white robe that lived 2,000 years ago, is now on vacation in Tahiti and coming back someday, you don't know Jesus. Jesus is that perfect state of God consciousness within me. Come on, together again. Jesus is that perfect state of God consciousness within me. And Jesus coming to earth to save you means that that perfect state of God consciousness comes to you while you are in sin, while you are in error, and reminds you and reunites you with the thought, the idea, my Father has bread enough and to spare. That Jesus, that perfect state of God consciousness, comes to you in your negative condition and reminds you of who you are in God and who God is in you. Reminds you of your divine sonship and tells you and reveals to you, I and my Father are one. That's Jesus. So, Father, I missed the mark thinking that I was separate and apart from you. I let error fill my consciousness. I live under the delusion of false negative beliefs in the pig pen. My thinking has been wrong. I have been under the dominion of world belief. This is the meaning of the prodigal son's confession. Now, we've got to get this kid out of the pig pen. The scripture says he arose and came to his father. And while he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Wow, what a reception. This arising of the prodigal son again is not simply a physical process, not simply an external process, but an internal, mental, spiritual process. He arose and came to his father. It means that he turned his mind from the negative to the positive, from error to truth. It also demonstrates to us, ladies and gentlemen, that the very moment that you turn your mind to God, to good, to spirit, to your divine identity, to your divine relationship, God, good, hastens to meet you. Wow. God always responds to you instantly. Don't you ever forget that. Your prayer life is going to be different. Your life is going to be different. So I'm going to have you put that in the first person. God always responds to me instantly. Together? You've got to watch that old religious song. There are a lot of religious songs I do not permit to be sung in this church. And number one on the list of don't you ever sing that here is that so-called religious song, You Can't Hurry God. Biggest lie ever told. Notice what the scripture says about the prodigal son returning to the father. And he arose and came to his father, and while he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and what? And ran. Does that sound like God hurrying to you? Huh? 
The moment you turn your mind to good, the good that you turn your mind to hastens to meet you. Oh, I want you to know that. I just love the wordology of this parable. While he was yet a great way off, you may still be in a hell of a fix. But if in the midst of that hell of a fix, you will elevate your mind to God, elevate your mind to good, elevate your mind to spirit, turn your mind to the Father, turn your mind to the source of all good, the source will hasten, will run to meet your need and fill your every good desire. From this moment on, as you think God's thoughts, as you think good thoughts, as you think your good desires, as you pray your prayers, I want you to have a sense and a vision of the Father, which means the source rushing to fill your need. God is in a hurry to bless me. God is in a hurry to bless me. Come on, shout it. You who are listening to the tape, you join in this unorthodox ritual as well. I don't care where you are in consciousness or experience. I don't care how bad a sinner you've been or how religious you've been. I don't care how worthy you are or how unworthy. You see, the parable of the prodigal son lets us know also that all of God's children are worthy. In our next session or two, we'll get to that question of worthiness, but I must play upon it a bit now because a part of the confession of the prodigal son, human consciousness also came through and said, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Of course, that is correct for human consciousness. Human consciousness is not worthy. And as long as you think that you're not worthy, you're not in divine consciousness, you're in human consciousness, and you're not going to get any more than you think you're worthy of. But as God's child, as God's offspring, as the Christ, the Son of the living God, you are worthy. As the Son of a God, you're not worthy. As the Son of God, you are worthy. While he was yet a great way off. Way, way off. Some of you are way off. Some of you are so far off, you don't even know where you are. Oh, but praise God, there's hope for you. Glory to God. Even on the day of Pentecost, the first sermon in the Christian church, a part of that sermon was that the promise is unto you and unto your children and to them that are afar off. It's good to know that you can't get so far off from God that you can't come back if you want to. So you who are here today, so you who are listening to this tape, 50 years from now and 100 years from now, even after I have passed on out of this body, I want you to know that you can come back to your God, to your good, to your Father, to your source, if you want to. All you have to do is want your God, want your good. Want your father. Want your source. That's all you have to do. All you have to do is get enough of catching hell and turn your mind to heaven and say, I will arise. You may be weakened in error. You may be disgusted and busted. You may be broke and down at the heel. You may be mixed up and messed up. 
But if you will just simply say, I will. Let me hear everybody say, I will. I have the will. I have the desire. I have the mind. I will arise and get going. If you're way off in poverty, all you have to do is elevate your mind and say, I will, I will be rich. And even though you're long ways off, riches will start running to meet you. If you want money, all you have to say is, I will have money. I will to have money. I will to have all the money that I need. I will to have surplus money. Just turn your mind to it and the source. Don't ever forget here, the father is the source. The father is not a man with gray beard. The father is what? The source. The source of all good. Whatever good you will to have, the father is the source of that good. Whatever good you need, the father is the source of that good. And all you have to do is give the father your will. And the good that you desire will rush to fill your every need and satisfy your every good desire. While the prodigal son was yet a great way off, father saw him, had compassion. Other people may rebuke and scorn you, criticize you, try to step on you, pull you down, and discourage you. But the father will have compassion. The preachers will tell you you're not worthy. The preachers will say you're a dirty, low, stinking sinner. But the father will run to meet you. Let's finish by doing our affirmation. Place your hands in a receptive position. Right here and right now, I arise to the consciousness of who I am in God and who God is in me. I return. I reunite my mind to the truth that I am the Christ the Son of the Living God. I have no business in the pig pen of negative thought, of doubt, of unbelief, of nasty attitude. And I get out of here. I get out of all of these negative states of mind right now right now right now my home is not the pig pen of negative thinking and negative living my home is the father's house Where I have bread and enough to spare. Where there is joy, music, dancing, feasting, loving. I arise and I go to my Father, my source of all good.
God in me right now. And I give the Father my pure will. I will total well-being. I will good health. I will happiness and love. I will success and prosperity. I will money. 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 I will money